right, good. We are live. And uh, we're back after a long hiatus. That wasn't our longest hiatus. It was a couple weeks. We've had a longer hiatus during the uh, original quarantine situation. Um, I, you know, I'm, as always, Lauren Pespiza, sitting here with... Uh, Evan George. Hello, hello. And uh, happy birthday, Mom. Oh, happy birthday, Sandy George. Yep. Sandra George. And also happy anniversary to Connie. Oh, it's a big day. Look at it's that. It's a big day for our whole family. Nice. And also, I want to welcome our fearless co-host, uh, Herb Morsiglio. Cool. Oh, yeah. You got promoted, man. Congratulations. Oh, wait. Oh, I, I said that. I'm <laughs> actually producing the show My now. My fearless producer. No one's I'm producing on the, the show. I'm on the ones and twos. Evan's working the board right now. <laughs> Everyone's confused. Herb's going to give you his take on local politics here in Boston, and I'm oh. just going to adjust the mics. You it's know what? Be good. Honestly, for election season, that would be an amazing show. Probably would be. Just saying. But anyway, uh, I wanted to start with uh, that song because the last time I was, we're doing a show today on uh, Operation Clean Sweep and uh, what they call Methadone Mile. And the last time that I was there uh, was the last time I was called in for a drug test. And I was actually at a protest for City Life Theater Urbana before that in Roxbury. And I basically danced my way to that song to go pee in a cup. Um for my, you know, uh, conditions of probation or whatever. And uh, since we were discussing that today, I thought that would be appropriate. That was very appropriate. We got some great uh, Facebook love for it, so good job. All right. I'm happy to hear it. I don't know. New producer. Already doing a great job. Yes. Good job, Evan. You're a great producer. You know exactly what you're doing. So we actually have a – so we have a couple things to talk about today. Um, We are just back. I'm actually extremely – I know you're not. Maybe you are. I feel like you should be sick of electoral politics right now i never get sick of electoral politics oh baby it's all right give it a couple years um please (laughs) um so we i am sick of electoral politics right now there's a few issues i i would love to bring up but mostly what i want to talk about is things i have seen going on like in real life or at least from people who are there in real life on facebook as well as City council shenanigans, as usual. Um, and so we actually have a guest in the studio, to, or not in the studio. We don't have anybody in the studio. I'm losing my mind. Sorry. I just had On to, the phones. I just had to ask Rayla Campbell today. So Yeah, you had a busy day. I've, I'm very busy. And I was having dinner with my parents. Oh, I hope it was delicious. It was. Really good. Nice salmon. It was delicious. You had salmon? Salmon's good. So, um, yeah, no, I'm always on the go lately as a uh, anarchist without a job at this point. Um. And so I do want to welcome Angela. And sorry, I'm bad at everything I do. Angela Niwalia. We can unmute that mic. Herb, stop laughing at me. <laughs> Let's do it. Because we, we have a harm reduction specialist on the phone um, to, that has been there on, on the ground level, boots on the ground, seeing what's been going on. There's been a few, there's been protests to clean up Methadone Mile that have been very offensive. Um, to say the least, but um, Angela, you there with us? Yeah. Awesome. Hey, I apologize for that intro. Everything happened at once. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. This is real also, life stuff going on. Uh, for the Pat playing at the beginning. Gotta love it. Oh, yeah, I know. I Honestly, I'm actually kind of like Herb, actually, my fearless producer, turned me on to that, and I am forever grateful. Yeah. So, um... I know that a couple, like, I think it was Tuesday last week, five days ago, 
um, there was some sort of protest to clean up Methadone Mile, quote-unquote, or some sort of vaguely NIMBY slash advocating for some decent things, but also trying to, like, uh, give more funding to police about it. So it was very, like... Uh, it didn't. It didn't get a lot of press because it only got like covered on Fox. Um, and you know, I think one of my friends posted it, and you commented on it that you could give insight into this, and you were on the ground as a harm reduction specialist. So I wanted to talk to you about what exactly that is and what you've been seeing. Yeah, right on. So, um, I mean, in my like line of work as a, a harm reduction specialist on like the front lines of, I guess. Um, substance consumption, uh, public sure. substance consumption in Boston. Um, I'm definitely uh, in tune with some of the stuff that's been going around on around like the clean sweep, uh, the first and the second one. Um, and yeah, I believe the protest was not this past Thursday, but the Thursday before that with the promise that they would be back every Thursday. Uh, okay. Every Thursday, huh? That was the sound of it. Okay. So um, did you make it out to the protest, or do you know anybody who did? Um, I believe uh, uh, a colleague from SIFMA now, uh, Supervised yep. Injection Facilities in Massachusetts now, Kathy Hurd, was there. Okay, um, Kathy. Yeah, we're definitely going to get into that and what they do, because that's important. Yeah, right on. Um, but, uh, I, I was, you know, I was like, I felt like I missed out cause I was probably like dealing with other counter protesting stuff. So I wanted to hear, you know, I went through their list of demands. I was very offended by it, but at first I, I'm getting distracted. What I want to say is, um, what, what exactly is a harm reduction specialist for our listeners who don't really quite understand what that means? Well, I would say if you asked about 100 harm reduction specialists, you would get about 100 different answers. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty open-ended term. Um, my like current job title is a community health worker, which definitely encompasses a lot of what I do. I work in public health. Uh, I am uh, on the ground working with uh, people who are consuming substances publicly, as well as people who are in recovery. Um, and then in addition to that, my work also really overlaps with uh, the prevention of the spread of bloodborne pathogens. Um, so I do a lot of work around safer sex, uh, okay. as well as like queer health and stuff. Um, but what does that look like day office, to day? Oh, uh, so it, it varies day to day. Um, uh, a good chunk of the during like the initial outbreak of the pandemic, it was almost exclusively street outreach. And as things have started to kind of reopen a bit and settle in certain areas, especially in the public health, where we want to really be trying to maximize the amount of people that we can see, as well as the services that we provide. Uh, I have been spending a lot of time doing uh, both like information dissemination as well as testing for hep C, HIV, and STI. Okay. So are you, so you are going to, you know, um, I don't, I don't want to phrase it this way, but places that everybody yeah. is complaining exist basically and well, helping yeah, the yeah. people there. Yeah. Honestly, I think that that's, 
kind of a an okay way to phrase it when we're really looking at the issues that like I mean, I'm going to places where people are carving out space for themselves to consume substances publicly. But in addition to that, where people are just carving some space for themselves to exist publicly. Um, You know, living in a classified society, a lot of people don't necessarily have access to the housing resources. Or, I mean, even if we look at it from just a purely substance uh, consumption standpoint alone, like... Uh, a person who has a steady income um, and, you know, disposable income is able to go to a bar and consume alcohol. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A number of my clients are criminalized for the consumption of alcohol in public. Now, the act is identical, but because they're technically on somebody else's property, that's when the policy enforcers, the police start to a- enter into the situation to defend the property. Okay, so I want to back up a little bit on that because I know that I've seen a lot of your posts saying there is a uh, next wave of Operation Clean Sweep um, going on and no one's covering it. I think that's kind of what you're getting at here. Yeah. So, I mean, well, when we like really break it down, there's been a clean sweep going on across the across the nation. Um, right. I just saw something about Oakland today so, or San Francisco. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, all the way from the the so-called like skid row. But I mean, even if you look in any general bus station, any uh, subway station, any public park, you're going to start seeing hostile architecture popping up everywhere. And so there has been an unarguable war on people experiencing homelessness and people who consume substances publicly. Now, on the local level, it's manifested itself in the Boston Police Department carelessly and callously moving people around um and it's not even like really a uh a a solid well felt out plan because all it's really ending up being is people being rotated from spot to spot to spot and away from all of the service providers as well as away from just the like community that they built for themselves where they're able to maintain each other's uh safety by providing, you know, naloxone in the event of an overdose or even sharing peer-to-peer education, which is something that we often overlook when we think about uh, introduction into substance consumption as well as like maintenance of substance consumption. It's uh, almost like an oral history that you learn as you're uh, consuming. And that's what allows you to keep safe because it's not stuff that's taught. Yeah, um, I mean, so... uh... So that's the thing is, um, actually, I did want it to go into a little bit. I'm sure a lot of our listeners know about what naloxone is, um, but I wanted to just sort of get a, you know, harm reduction specialist uh, expertise on what exactly that means for the community of people who are using drugs. And it, it literally is a life-saving chemical. Yeah, anytime I get to shamelessly plug naloxone. Um, Naloxone hydrochloride is an opioid receptor antagonist. It attaches to the opioid receptors, preventing them from uh, being under the influence of opioid agonists. So basically what it's doing is it's going into the brain and it's blocking the opioids uh, effects on the brain, which can then allow the body to start breathing. Right, and uh, I actually I I did pull up some stats about overdoses. Do, do where are they? I thought they were here. Uh, the oh, I was looking at the Boston Melnia Cast Mass Ave dashboard. 
there is a there's been a lot of increasing amount of overdoses since covid when i saw it's in like the amount of like i don't know three thousand or something over the past year um i'm not sure uh if that is an increase you know people i was reading a boston globe article recently that came out yesterday and um they were blaming it on the closure of the bridge to long the long island treatment facility so i mean anytime uh especially around times of crises like covid uh, anytime that we're looking at spikes in uh, overdose rates, we're looking at uh, like uh, kind of a perfect storm of things that are happening. Uh, one yeah, isn't of the that what Mar- things- Marty Walsh said? I, I would not be surprised. <laughs> um, he'll say anything they feed him. Uh, so uh, one of the things that we really need to look at in these times is that uh, the drug supply is greatly stunted by um, breakups in uh, shipping and breakups in ability to transport stuff, um, as well as breakups in like uh, the drug market in general and the like overall uh, demand. And so we're seeing like dealers uh, not be able to pick up, not be able to then uh, distribute. And in the process of that happening, we're seeing people finding new dealers. We're also seeing people using alone as well as people being forced out of places that they would normally be using at because of this uh, like so-called clean sweep. Uh, and in the process of them being forced out of those areas, they're maybe uh, not having as many precautions set up and not having as many safety nets uh, that come with a community of people using drugs in place. Yeah, and that was one of the things that bothered me about that Boston Globe article was the fact that you know, all they did was quote people complaining about um, this in their backyard and in their neighborhood. Obviously, people being homeless and having nowhere to go is a problem. We can all agree on that, right? But it, what they were complaining about was the fact that they had to see them. Yeah. And, you know, meanwhile, these people have gotten to know each other. Um, I did want to ask you a bunch of questions about also these, what I, you know, I've seen these cages, right, on like Atkinson Street. They look like cages yeah. and yeah. they're alarming. I understand. But like, what is the general, like, you know, if you're talking to people who are over there, you know, using them, they call them comfort stations. They have like water, porta potties, stuff like that. Um, maybe, you know, some sort of help. It is kind of dangerous during COVID to be congregating in that sort of environment where everybody's in closed quarters like that. I understand that, but you know, I look at them. I looked at them as cages, like like a free speech cage, right? But I I was seeing somebody say this is actually a place where people can get services, and that's why they're here. It's the only place they can get it. Yeah. So I mean, it it's it's a a multi layered sort of um, happening issue, however you want to like put it. Um, the Areas themselves are these fenced in, almost like safe zones. Uh, They've been in existence since, I want to say, around midway through the uh, like pandemic. Uh, In all fairness, like the idea behind it, uh, a place where people can access services, where people aren't going to be criminalized for the act of public consumption, um, and both of those occurring simultaneously. A, you know, it's a brilliant concept. They've been doing it in other countries for 30 some odd years. Um, 
to great effect. The difficulty is is the the lack of uh, resources allotted to those places, as well as the overall, um, I want to say, coercion uh, that comes with uh, the criminalization of people who use drugs within the Melnia Cass uh, New Market area. Um, when we don't necessarily allow people to uh, freely consume where they're going to consume, or I mean, if we don't create a space where they can do so hygienically and without the risk of fatal overdose, um, and instead we say you need to go to this spot, and if you don't go to this spot and you're on somebody's property, you're in a backyard, you're on a storefront, um, you're in a lot somewhere, you're going to be criminalized further. Um, when we add that level of coercion, uh, it it's just it's not a uh, a compassionate approach and it's not necessarily a uh a workable approach because we're removing the you know the the care the support and i i guess the the first do no harm from the situation right right and so what's what happened on tuesday that I, you know i was seeing a bunch of stuff on twitter where people were going in um, like cops were going in and doing the thing with the trash compactors and the tents into this area. Were they going for the comfort cages, if you will, or were they going for anybody who was outside of it? So as it stands, um, and I, I, I do want to preface this by saying at the beginning of the outbreak of COVID-19, uh, one of the things that we were advising people who were sleeping rough or who rather who were like sleeping outside um, and, commuting in like small groups was that if that was something that they could do comfortably, that that put them at less of a risk than congregating in like spaces like shelters, um, as well as congregating in large groups. Uh, so from the start, the public health messaging has been access services, but social distance as much as possible and sleeping rough, the open air, the, you know, rain kind of washing things away. Um, and the, the space that we're naturally able to keep from each other when we're out of doors, uh, that was going to be the most beneficial thing for people who were, uh, you know, constantly at risk for becoming COVID positive. And so because that was our standpoint, you know, uh, it, it's really pressingly difficult to see that these encampments, wherever they occur, whether it be on the corner of Melnia Cass and Mass Ave, or whether it be under the Mass Connector Bridge, whether it be you know, uh, family probate court uh, lot, any of the places, it is it's so counterintuitive to be breaking up these encampments. It's so counterintuitive to be uh, taking people's belongings and throwing them out. Uh, the, the thing that I saw in particular um, as I was leaving work was a trash compactor uh, being used to clear the sidewalk in front of the um, the engagement center uh, on the corner of Melcass and Mass Ave, right. which, though that's you know arguably standard procedure for anything that's obstructing sidewalks, the I I guess just the the very harsh reality of uh, having you know your belongings especially when so much has been taken from you or not allotted to you in the first place, uh, having them, you know, trash compacted directly before you is, um, it's really troubling. 
And it doesn't feel like a public health approach. And, you know, that's even considering the possible contagion from people clustering on sidewalks, the possible contagion from people uh, creating encampments on sidewalks, uh, the possible public health hazard from having, you know, discarded substance consumption supplies in the area. Even with those things, it still doesn't feel too public health to see a trash compactor with people's belongings being shoved into it. And Abs I don't think that's true now, and I don't think it was the case during the original clean sweep. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Um, what, I, what I was wondering is, do you know what, ha you know, people do get arrested during these sweeps. Right? People do get arrested. Yes. Um, and it's not just these sweeps. Uh, during the Boston Marathon about a year ago, we were, uh, I was organizing with a, uh, a local group called Massachusetts Union of the Homeless. And at the time, we were writing an article for Liberation News. And in the process of writing the article, we were walking around interviewing people. Uh, and people who were experiencing homelessness, who generally hung out in the Copley area, were mm -hmm. being pushed back to as far as um, Mass Ave. Uh, and there were sweeps. And uh, according to the people experiencing homelessness in the area, there were regular shakedowns that were. Uh, you know, targeted to do the very same thing that these clean sweeps are doing, which is sanitized. It, it's oh, it's an yeah. act of social cleansing. And um, Angela, so you, you just hit on something which kind of leads really great into um, something I want you to weigh in on. And you expressed this earlier, which is basically this, you know, the Operation Clean Sweep is something that has always, like, it's always existed. We have always herded undesirable populations, homeless populations, either away from the cameras, where that's the Boston Marathon bombing. I think it was maybe two or three years ago, MBTA workers, uh, police officers beat down a homeless person trying to clear out the MBTA away from the garden so that the fans won't have to see it. And um, you used a term that I want you to define uh, just for the audience, um, hostile architecture. Oh, yeah, uh, we I'm love not, hostile. Because I'm not we sure to what extent that is in, like, the public discourse. And also, like, the MBTA, I tried to find it. I think they deleted the tweet because of how much it got ratioed. The new benches. But basically, yeah. um, using the cover of accessibility, of, like, openness to actually install hostile architecture. So before I get to um, some of Marty Walsh's plans for this that I want you to weigh in on, can you just explain that term to people so people know what that is? Yes, absolutely. And I'd, I'd like to really quickly, because I've heard this argument brought up before, counter this notion of accessibility. Uh, if a public bench uh, has bars put across it, uh, if for any, any sense of like creating accessibility, it is for the express purpose of preventing people from laying down on the bench. And if the bench is not accessible to people experiencing homelessness who have, you know, chronic pain uh, or any number of things that require them to lay down, then that bench is not accessible to anyone. Um, but hostile architecture is this notion of uh, creating, um, you know, what what would appear to be functional pieces uh, that prevent people from uh, laying down on them. So we could see, like, you know, tilted benches, benches with a few too short or like too short of a uh, a seat area, um, benches with rails in between them. Uh, additionally, we'll see like um, under awnings uh, near buildings, uh, like concrete spikes being placed in. The 
the comparison that one could draw is, you know, the uh, the anti-bird spikes that are put up on the, the ledges of buildings. Uh, it's it's the exact same concept. It's trying to create something that causes discomfort and potential injury in order to prevent people from utilizing public space. And the only reason that people would need to utilize that public space is because they are denied private space based on their class. And um, th that is a great way for me getting to what Marty Walsh uh, wants for some of his solutions. So it was a few <laughs> days ago. I haven't gotten a chance to read the entire plan yet. Uh, his mass mass and cast 2.0 yeah plan. i have it right here and one and i heard him speak about this on i think it was wbur uh towards the end of last week and because uh, you brought this up so i actually would be very curious what is a good public health uh, lens for this because on the one hand what we are doing is we are as you were expressing we are congregating um people who are experiencing homeless into a certain area of boston and then providing the services there and part of this plan that uh, Marty was expressing is to kind of spread that out. Now, I do not at all accept this as acting in good faith. I think it's because of how visible that level of poverty is in that one central location. If you spread it out, maybe it won't look so bad. That's just my initial political read on it. But in terms of somebody who is a harm reduction specialist who does this, do you support kind of the concept of spreading out these services? Or is it more of a question that we just don't put enough money, period, whether that's all together or spread out? What, what would you um, recommend? Actually, I, I really vibe with the latter there because, uh, you know, services were all spread out. Um, you know, there is uh, a, several syringe access locations across town. Um, there's some in Cambridge, uh, you know, Jamaica Plain, uh, Back Bay area. And then there's stuff in the New Market area. Um, but honestly, when we look at the New Market area, when we look at the large congregation of service providers in the area, uh, in addition to its close proximity to a good chunk of uh, sheltering locations, spreading that out to me is an act of violence against people who don't necessarily have access to transportation, right. don't necessarily have the ability to commute. Um, now, that said, I, I do 100% agree that it is a problem with lack of funding to public health and human services. Um, I think that, you know, to some extent, that's by design. Um, if we look at the, uh, you know, symbolic, be, say, or be it as they may, um, cuts that Charlie Baker has uh, put to the HIV line item um, in the past four years, in addition to uh, the RAF budget. Uh, if we look at the um, outcry from uh, people experiencing homelessness of uh, black mold in shelters, uh, and then if we just look to the situation on um, Melanie Cass and Mass Ave, like we can see underfunding in just the very existence. Uh, and um, yeah. an, a, another um, element of his plan, just reading through some of the highlights now uh, from a Boston Herald report, 
Uh, the addition of eight addiction specialists to the street outreach team, a four-member Department of Public Works crew to keep the area clean and needle-free, and a five-member police community squad. Oh, no. Which sounds very friendly. Oh, um, boy. Just looking at some of the um, tasks that this new team will have. Um, let's see. Uh, the five-officer squad designated to the South End is meant to do outreach and connect people to services. And they're all trained in recovery operations and de-escalation techniques. Oh, no. However, immediately following that line, um, yes, we are going to expand our role as police officers. But make no mistake, when people are breaking the law and need to be arrested, that's going to happen. So, I mean, can you speak on that, actually? Have the police ever bothered you for doing harm reduction outreach work? Uh, they, in, in both instances, uh, whether it be um, in my hometown of Gloucester, all the way to my work here in the city of Boston, uh, and in my work as a, a community activist, uh, you know, we run... Uh, it, the way we view it is harm reduction or, you know, just working on uplifting the working class runs antithetically with the increasing of police budgets and the support of police in general. Um, the state of American policing is that of an institution of white supremacy, of patriarchy, of, uh, you know, cis heterosexism. Um, it is an institution built entirely to protect private property uh, and not to serve the needs of the public. Um, to so, that effect, I think that increasing police budgets uh, to, I, I guess, on behalf of people experiencing homelessness or people who use drugs, to me, is just insulting. Right. Yeah. I mean, from what I've seen, it sounds like it gets pretty, pretty hectic out there with the cops um, trying to balance that uh we would like to see more budgets i mean obviously defund the police and send that into somebody who's actually doing the work um what about uh just in terms of there are people there that don't want to be without a home um what about in terms of like you know housing everybody well i mean you know uh uh, aside from being a harm reductionist, I am a revolutionary communist. Um, I am fervent in my belief that housing is a human right. The oh, yeah. fact of the matter is, is that there are so many empty units, not just locally, across the country, more than enough to house every single person within the United States. Uh, the fact that that is not happening currently is just a, a a ghoulish display of the power of the dollar um, and the primacy of profit. Uh, it, it stands to reason that if we can house college students in hotel rooms uh, in order to, you know, break up what was already a very necessary uh, quarantine, a very necessary uh, social distancing measure, uh, if we can do that why haven't we well before this housed every person experiencing homelessness <laughs> oh, um <man. laughs> I, it's it, it the you know it, it boggles the mind um and it's it's really troubling because that is a theme that we've seen uh play out over and over the past couple of months 
has been uh, COVID popping up, you know, left and right, just these uh, garish displays of housing insecurity um, and housing disparity, as well as the uh, ever-growing threat against most of us uh, of the experience of homelessness. Yeah, I mean, anybody who's protesting uh, the fact that people are there, there with them in just a few months, it's it's a it's a problem. I don't know. I don't know if we'll be able to get. Like, do you think that Marty Walsh is uh, doing a good job? I know this is almost a redundant question at this point. Um, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's it's one of those things where you know I don't believe that the the system of economics that we exist under allows politicians at any level, be it local or uh, national, to do what needs to be done in order to protect the uh, the the you know sanctity and sovereignty of human life. Uh, I don't think that any of the politicians are equipped to. Uh, make the necessary changes required to ensure that fundamental human rights are ensured to every human within this country. What about Michelle Wu? Uh, in the Boston Globe article about this, she wanted to take a holistic approach. I still don't understand what that means. Sounds good, though, doesn't it? Doesn't it, it, sounds, sound it sounds nice. It sounds, it sounds nice. I love holistic approaches. I but, picture like a little stream. But yeah, like a nice stream flowing through... Melnia Cass Boulevard. So for me, a holistic approach looks like an acknowledgement that the system that we exist under has failed us. Uh, it looks like the acknowledgement that housing is a human right, that employment is a human right, that health care is a human right, that mental health care is a human right, that food, uh, everything that we need in order to survive and thrive, education included, are human rights. Oh, yeah. And at that basis, when we when we uh, ensure that everyone has those basic needs met, we would instantly see this, you know, well, not instantly, we'd over time see this uh, beautiful drop in the material conditions that inform problematic relationships to substances and thus substance use. Um, oh, man, I want to I honestly could do an entire show on that with you. I I'm like working I, yeah. my own shit out through this, like talking to you about this, because I have learned <laughs> so much in terms of even your language saying instead of addicts or whatever, like people who use drugs, just different things. I'm like, oh, my God, somebody finally is speaking my language. So I actually really want to thank you as a person yeah. who's recovered myself for speaking in a way that empowers me and doesn't turn me into a subhuman, you know, person i guess um and yeah. that was you know what i Absolutely. mean like I, I could do an entire show on that with you um if evan ever lets me we could have chomsky yeah, on, so talk about we, the use of language we're not ever going to have chomsky on the show yeah, chomsky wants to come to the show oh, evan's not coming as, on the uh, show or chomsky's not coming like on the show evan. as both a public health professional and a person who uses drugs and a person who's struggled with uh so-called addiction myself right um i you definitely believe that the uh, that language is paramount in yeah. how we communicate these, um, you know, these these social conditions as well as these, uh, you know, instances of potentially negative behavior within our own lives. 
how we communicate those to the rest of the world is how we, uh, you know, expect it to be viewed and expect it to be communicated. And so I try to keep that level of, um, I guess, vocab when I carry yeah, out this course. I've, I've learned a lot from you. I mean, I've been I've been clean for four years and I, I didn't. Um... You know, I didn't know the, you know, I guess next level vocabulary, you know, oh, add addiction is a disease. And I'm all like, I'm like, uh, you know, okay, whatever. If that makes you like me more, I'll say that. But, you know, it didn't, it didn't really quite vibe with me. And, and I, I, I guess maybe it's a social disease. I could literally do a whole show on that. But what I actually want to talk about is the fact that we have a housing crisis and we have an opiate crisis and Marty Walsh isn't doing shit about it. On either end. Yeah, no, so. no, no <laughs> argument. Stop laughing at me, Evan. No, just nothing. I'm not laughing at you. He's totally laughing at me. Anyway, um, but I really appreciate your call. Um, what do you see? What do you project or see for the future of what's going to be happening with this Operation Clean Sweep? Is there anything that you want to plug or anything that people can do to support homeless people, people who are currently unhoused, or people who use drugs? during this yeah. crisis i mean so as uh, again like as a uh a community activist as well as a harm reductionist as well as a person who used drugs as well as you know public health worker like uh i definitely think that we need to start examining this problem as a as a we problem and not a you problem right i think that the language that we use around substance consumption, around the problematic relationships to substances, um, and just uh, the way of thinking that we have gotten stuck uh, into uh, around like this individualistic view of this is your sickness, uh, you need to you know be cured of it or what have you. Uh, I think that we need to really uh, begin to analyze the way that we look at substances through an anti-capitalist lens and outside of the framework of capitalism. I think on a personal level, uh, we should really be more conscious about uh, how we interpret our own uh, property and how we interpret the the interaction of that with the property list. Um, I think that it is of the utmost importance that we are offering PPE and hand sanitizer and, uh, you know, in, in all fairness, like cash, whenever right. we can to homelessness, <laughs> people who are consuming drugs publicly, uh, making sure that they have the necessary resources without passing judgment on them, especially our own personal moralizing judgment through this notion of like, oh, well, I'll give them, you know, X, Y, and Z thing, but I'm not giving them cash because they don't blah, blah, blah. Um, and then as far as, uh, systemically, um, I think that we can continue to like, I like to view the work that I do as a, uh, as a, a bandit it is, or as a stitch, you know, it is preventing a more catastrophic outcome, but when it comes down to it, if we want to see meaningful change, we need to create meaningful change in the overarching system that informs all of these crises. The opioid uh, overdose epidemic is a, it, it's easily dissectable as a, a question of prohibition, a question of uh, carceralism, and uh, a question of class divided society. Um, 
You know, opioid painkillers were fed to the working class um, by, you know, pill mills. Uh, when society decided that they, uh, you know, looked upon that poorly, they cut off the supply of those. A whole ton of people who were then chemically dependent on something had to find uh, alternate sources of it. We saw a huge increase in the consumption of illicit opioids. Uh, and now we are, you know, in the midst of what we're calling an opioid overdose crisis. Um, but at the root of that is unmet pain management needs and, right. uh, you know, too long of a work week and unsafe work conditions and overstressing and overworking and, uh, you know, beating down the working class. Yeah. Uh, and then we're, you know, we're also seeing the trauma of existing under this uh, system of economics. So I believe that this, uh, this begs systemic change of all of us. And I think that we need to do everything we can in the meantime to fund harm reduction uh, resources, as well as housing for every single person um, mm. without oh, yeah. conditions of sobriety, without condition right. of employment. I actually have a whole bunch of stats on how that works, but um, I know Evan's bugging me because he wants to get to a city council thing. But what I, <laughs> <laughs> he wants to get to his cute little electoralism. Yeah, he's going to talk about electoral politics, though. Even though, like every single study about when they just stop being punitive and start being restorative and start, you know, like actually helping people, putting them in housing without like questions asked. Uh, people end up uh, reducing their use and eventually withdrawing on their own because, like, you know, they get involved with their community and they have a safe way to consume and uh, use. And it, it all makes sense, but um, maybe we'll get into Absolutely. that another day. Um, um, look, uh, what, what, into, what can my listeners donate to? Uh, what can you donate to? Uh, donate to Mass Bail Fund. Get people okay. out <laughs> of the yeah. <laughs> Um, but your readers could also, or your listeners could also look into, I would say, check out Mark Lewis, uh, check out Johan Hari, uh, check out, uh, Carl Hart, Dr. Carl Hart. Um, in addition to that, look up heroin assisted treatment, uh, oh, yes. look up ice injection facilities, look up housing first, uh, start prioritizing the necessary steps that we need to take before we're prioritizing people's morality, nimbyism, right. all of this, just gobbledygook. We need to ensure people's safety by any means necessary. Absolutely. I, I like the by any means necessary part of that. <laughs> uh, but Angela, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much. I definitely want to keep reaching out to you about this further. Um, this is an extremely interesting topic, um, and it's, it's complicated, uh, especially given that what's going on is so recent in terms of the, uh, you know, recent sweeps I've been hearing about on Twitter and everything. Um, are you still going to be doing outreach even though you've been harassed? Oh yeah. Every, every day, uh, um, or every opportunity I get, whether it be at work, whether it be not at work, I, uh, but by, by no means will the public health sector, um, be slowing down even in the face of harsher criminalization of our clientele. Um, even in the face of the uh, like continuous scattering of our clientele, we will be finding the people where they're at, meeting them where they're at, and providing them the services that they need to make it till tomorrow because that's what is the right thing to do. That is preserve life at all costs. The model of the show. Oh, yeah. Into the apocalypse. Yeah, it's but, the yeah. apocalypse. All right. All right. So um, we're going to let you go. Um, I actually want to take a quick break. 
So um, we'll be back soon with, uh, we're going to talk about the city council. Ew. You'll see. It's very connected. Wait, Don't but, worry. but how am I going to bring up my own friend's drama into this? You'll find a way. You I always know. do. I will. So we'll be right back. Give me like 10 minutes. All right. Pause.